Hello and welcome to the Student Council, an educational advice show made for students and by students and sometimes professors, where everybody is qualified to talk about their own experiences. My name is Carter Dvorak, and today I am so very excited to be joined by Dr. Marcus Collins, Professor of Marketing at the University of Michigan School of Business. Great history of marketing, too. I'm just so jazzed to get into everything. So, Dr. Collins, what has been your favorite five minutes of the past week? Oh, favorite five minutes of the past week is super easy. Uh, yesterday was my birthday, so I did the Ann Arbor thing. We celebrated at Zingerman's Roadhouse uh, with my little ones. Uh, my wife. And it's just those moments that really become the snapshot of why I do what I do and uh, and what makes life as beautiful as it is. That's amazing. You know, I honestly, confession time, I have not been to Zingerman's Roadhouse yet. It's on oh, my man. list. What are you I doing? I don't doing? know. I don't know. It's I've been to Zinger, the, the Zingerman's before and I love it. And it's phenomenal every time I go. But the Roadhouse, I just haven't been there yet. But maybe I've got a week left. Maybe I'll have to get it in there. But, you got to make it happen. It's, it's a must for sure. It is. It is. And, and it's so lovely to, to celebrate those moments. And yeah, like to live in those experiences where like, you know, that this is going to be a really beautiful memory many years down the line. It's so special. The best thing ever. It is. Now I've got a lot of questions I'm so excited to ask, but I want to just start off with the, the bat. What is marketing? What would you describe as marketing? So marketing is one of those words that we often use, but oftentimes you don't have the best definition for them. And so I think about marketing from the 1455 definition, which says marketing is to bring to market. Super easy. Marketing mm -hmm. is bring to market or said differently, marketing is going to market, right? And what is the market? It's the nexus of supply and demand, right? It's where people go to enter the exchange, whether it's a physical marketplace or a market that exists in zeros and ones. But the market consists of these different players that are always interacting they're exchanging. And regardless if you are the manufacturer or you are the consumer or you are the channel of distribution, it all consists of people. So marketing is going to market. Market is going to people. Absolutely. That's a great definition that I just want to like lay out before we dive everything into. I think we'll be diving much deeper into marketing as things go on. But before that, this is a, a college-based podcast and I have a lot of college questions to ask. All right, First let's do of it. all is, so you have a history with the University of Michigan. You came here as an undergraduate. You got your MBA here as well, and now you're teaching. So I'm curious, what first led you to the University of Michigan and what has made you stay here and as you continue your time? My background goes further than that. Uh, I've been coming to the University of Michigan since I was 13 years old, 14 years old, 14 years old. No um, I went to every summer from my, my senior year, sorry, every summer after my senior year of high school, of, sorry, of eighth grade, what am I talking about? Since <laughs> the summer before my freshman year of high school, there it is, good night. Is. Um, I've been coming to the University of Michigan, spending my summers at the Summer Engineering Academy uh, up on North Campus. So before freshman year, the summer after freshman year, summer after sophomore year, summer after junior year, I'd been here at, at University of Michigan in, in Ann Arbor. So one would argue that I have been sort of molded, uh, interpolated to be a, a a, a member of this community. That's amazing. Have you, is it always like, have you ever considered going to other schools or, or teaching other schools or are you kind of locked in at University of Michigan for the near future? Not at all. I've never uh, considered heavily going to another school, especially in undergrad. I actually only applied to the University of Michigan as an under, uh, in my undergraduate years, totally, yeah. 
Um, no I way. thought about going to Howard at one moment uh, because because HBCUs just really fascinated me. Uh, but I ended up choosing Michigan and only uh, applying to Michigan. And little known fact, I only applied to Michigan for my MBA program and I only applied to Temple for my doctorate. I just knew where I wanted to go. So that's where I went. That's really cool. There is something to be said about that mentality of applying to things. I think, and I was, was suffered through this or experienced this when I was in high school of like applying to many different colleges with various different even like interests and degrees and things. But I also have like when I've applied to clubs and things before, like, you know, instead of applying to a bunch, like locking in on one of them and really putting a lot of time and effort and care into that has really done well for me, I think more than exploring super different various schools and things like that. Yeah, I've always been of the mind that if if I focus my energy, my resources, my efforts, my capacity on one thing, that it will increase the likelihood of that thing happening, as opposed to sort of spreading myself thin, as one would say, pursuing a lot of the things that I'm not equally excited about. Now, if there are three things I'm excited about, then great, I'll go after those three things. But 15 things, probably not so much. Uh, and it, it removes this, this sort of... Uh, faux reality that we call a safety net. Yeah, I love calling it a safety net a faux reality. I That's a great quote. Mm. Anyway, yeah. Now, you, I saw in your history of University of Michigan, you have a very a strong history with Greek life and the, and the Pi Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated. And I this is, I think, in 25 episodes, I've not talked about Greek life before, which is kind of huh. odd for a college podcast. Yeah. But I'd love to, to talk to you about your experiences with Greek life, how it impacted your time at college, what led you to leadership positions in Pi Beta Sigma, just your whole experience with that. Yeah, so again, this is another thing, the long legacy. Uh, I joined Phi Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated here at the University of Michigan uh, Delta Rho chapter, but I've been a part of the little brother organization of Phi Beta Sigma called the, the Sigma Beta Club since I've been in eighth grade, right? So in a lot of ways, I have been interpolated to to, to go this way. Uh, so I pledged my, my freshman year here uh, with four other gentlemen. Um, and it's, it was a life altering experience. You know, it, it taught me a lot about, about my resilience, um, about what community really meant and in a lot of ways that became my first sort of subscribed community. Like I applied to be in, in the engineering program. So I was in the engineering community just because I wanted to pursue a thing, but I didn't have that choice. I was placed there. I was a part of the Markley community because that's where I was placed. So my community was, was the people who lived around me. But pledging Sigma was the first time that I said, I'm going to do this thing here at, at, at Michigan. And Greek life was was amazing. I mean, I not only was a part of the organization, but I ended up serving as the president of, we called it the, the BGA at the time, uh, the Black Greek Association. Now it's referred to as the NPHC, the National Panhellenic uh, Council. But I, I was the president of the BGA for two years. Yeah, for two years. That's amazing. What led you to wanting to be the president of that organization? I just felt like I had a point of view about what the organization could be. And I didn't want to be one of the people on the sidelines uh, cri criticizing the leadership if I wasn't going to do the work. And I felt like there were a lot of people who had opinions. I mean, everyone has an opinion. Yes, Lots of people yeah. had opinions about the thing, but not many people were raising their hands to step up to actually do something about it. And I felt like I wasn't going to be that person on the sideline. And if I was going to do it, then I might as well do it. And I enjoyed uh, being the president. I did it twice. I love it. I love that view of leadership too, of, you know, taking the action and having these thoughts. And yeah, like not, you know, yeah, there's a lot of people who I think critique and complain and talk about things without ever having to like try and do it themselves. So I really love that way of doing it. That's amazing. Yeah. There's this, this saying that there's two people in the world. There's the kind of people who, when the copy machine is broken, they yell, say, hey, the machine's broken and leave the copy room. 
Uh, or there's people who say the copy machine is broken and they try to fix it. And I feel like I'm the latter for sure. I love that way of looking at things. Absolutely. I, I'd hope and I, I strive to be the latter for sure. Mm -hmm. Now, you've been talking a lot about engineering, but you are a marketing professor. And so I'm just really curious, how did that track go? Graduating with a degree in engineering, what prompted the shift of engineering to marketing? And how do you find that those engineering experiences still shape the things you do now? Again, very much interpolated from yep. childhood. <laughs> I spent my summers in Summer Engineering Academy here. And of course... I thought that I was going to be an engineer. I mean, I did well in math and science. I had been uh, bred to be an engineer, to learn how to think like an engineer. So that that made all the sense in the world. So when I came here to study engineering, um, it, it it felt like a natural thing. But I realized that I don't know if I was that excited about engineering. I mean, I was still fascinated about the concepts, but I don't know if that's what I wanted to do in its application. My mother, who's an academic, you know, she says, well, wait until you, until you get into your major. You'll love it. I go, okay, cool, cool. You know, my mother knows better than I, right? Mm -hmm. My dad was like, sure, I think she's right So to do that. <laughs> and when I got into my major, I was like, oh, man, I really don't think I want to do this at all. So I started taking some music theory courses to offset my, uh, my terrible GPA. Uh, and during this time, I fell in love with major sevenths. I said, oh, this is what I want to do. I, I want to be a songwriter. Like, that's the thing I felt like. Like I was excited about every single day. I mean, I couldn't wait to get to class because I'm gonna learn about modal mixtures and I'm gonna learn about um, uh, how, to, how to create uh, uh, these chord changes that felt familiar and new all at the same time. And I went home at the end of my sophomore year that summer and said, mom and dad, I know what I want to do for the rest of my life. My parents are like, out with it, tell us. And we're sitting in the family room and I say, I want to be a songwriter. And they go, oh, no, you don't. That is not true. That is not what you want to do. And I'm like, yeah, I really want to do this. And we fought it out. I mean, it was, we had a battle for sure. I remember this quote so vividly. And I say to my mom, it's like, mom, what if Quincy Jones discovers me and wants to sign me? And she says, I don't care if Jesus Christ wants to sign you. It ain't <laughs> happening. Right. And and they were very convicted about that, even though I was very convicted about wanting to do this. So I I agreed to continue my my time at Michigan studying engineering, but I was going to spend all my time outside of the classroom working on music. And the agreement that we had was that I'll do this engineering degree and I'll have engineering to fall back on as a safety net, but I would pursue music and they'll help me as I make this thing happen. So after I graduated right after 9-11, the market was terrible. So this was like the divine sign. This was God telling me, this is your time, Marcus, to pursue music. He did all this for me. Obviously, it doesn't make a lot of sense. So I pursue music. Uh, I worked at Universal Music Group as a ADR rep, which basically it's uh, it's not sexy at all. I was making bin cards and Sam Goody uh, that demarcated where our artists were in the CD slots. And I was putting up posters at concerts when our artists came to town. And it was not what I wanted to do. It was not major sevenths and modal mixtures, not at all. So I ended up moving back to Ann Arbor or sticking around Ann Arbor more, more accurately. And I ran a recording studio for one of my professors from the School of Music. And I would start recording my own sessions after the recorded sessions were done. And I felt like I was developing a style. And you know, the, the, the short end of it is that my business partner and I, who also was an, a Michigan alum in the engineering program who didn't want to be an engineer, <laughs> we started a company called Music Recordings. And we were pairing brands with up-and-coming artists, brands who wanted to spend a little bit of money on music, but not a whole bunch on up-and-coming artists who had uh, who had a following in, in different markets. And we built a business that way. It wasn't long-lasting, but it was for, for a moment in time. So I decided to go to business school after our business started to unwind 
to figure out this disruption that was happening in the, the world of music to understand business. I was, a, I was an engineer. What do I know about business? And that's what brought me back to Michigan to study in the MBA program before going to work at Apple and then uh, work with Beyonce and then into the and into the, the advertising world. It, uh, that is so, so cool. I love that story. And I think that it speaks really well to the growth and the shifts and the experiences that people have going into college and beyond. And I think it's always really comforting to, to anybody, various of degrees of like knowing that you can graduate with an engineering degree and end up in such a cool career, career field where you're working with marketing for Beyonce and that those two things can happen because I think that there can get this headspace of getting deadlocked and like, well, I'm doing this, which I guess means I'm doing this. And then there's a worry of like, do I really love it for the rest of my life? So it's it's always good to know that you can grow and change and explore different avenues. I think that's a, that's a really important point, Carter. I've always thought and was taught that you go to school for what you want to do, especially in undergrad. I want to, to go into politics, so I study poli-sci. I want to be a writer, so I study English. And that makes sense because those fields of, of study are directly correlated with the actual thing. But what I found is that, and what I believe rather, is that you should think about undergrad not as a place for vocational training, but more so as a place to learn how to learn. So it's better, I believe, to say, what am I interested in? Like, what am I excited about? What kind of gets me going? Not like what job I want to do after getting this degree, but rather, what am I excited about? And I'm going to go to this institution and learn how to learn. And this is going to be the context in which I learn. Like I learned how to see the world in a way that is unlike my own. I learned how to uh, uh, how to understand the underlying physics of the world around me so I can make better decisions about what I might do. I mean, I'm an engineer. I haven't done materials engineering since I was an undergraduate student here, but I learned how to think like an engineer. Like engineers apply logic to problem solving. And I do that to this very day. Though I'm a, a marketer, it's probably no wonder I use network theory in my in my my uh marketing practice because I study networks as a materials engineer, right? Like it teaches you how to think, how to see the world, how to solve problems in the world. Um, so I, the recommendation for undergraduates, probably too late for you because you're graduating, but <laughs> for those who are who are in their undergraduate years now or about to start, I would ask yourself, what are you excited about? What really gets you excited? Maybe it's gaming. Maybe it's, I don't know, maybe it's a, a, a hip hop. And you go, I want to study this, not because I want to necessarily do this when I graduate, but I want to study this because I feel like this is a good context that will keep me uh, motivated as I'm learning complex uh, uh, complex concepts that push me uh, in places I've never been before. It is. It's uh, it's such a great way of thinking. It removes the stress of college too when I think about those things too, where yeah, it removes that like grand external pressure. I remember even looking at, I love that philosophy because I was looking at a business school. I was looking at Northwestern when I was just exploring colleges and I was looking at like their business school is only for people who have completed an undergraduate and you like literally cannot get an undergraduate in business there because they want you to come to that school with like a different perspective, a different set of eyes than just business. And I think that that further emphasizes that like, you know, you're learning how to learn, you're learning what you're passionate about and interested in. And then even, you know, for you, like it seemed very similar to your story of like you found out you were really so interested in music and then you came to marketing and to the Ross, like wanting to learn about marketing, how that could tie into like the past that you had and bring that into the future. And I it's great. To that end, I mean, I came to business school as an MBA student. I ran a business, but I was really the person writing the songs. I was a, I was a songwriter. I was a, I was writing love songs and beats. 
making beats before I came to to business school. So I'm sitting with literally rocket scientists. There's a rocket scientist in in, in our in our our, our cohort. Um, but sitting with really, really smart people that have done all these amazing things. And you look at that and say, why would you have a songwriter there? Because I see the world differently. And what we know from the literature, what I know from my experiences is that diverse perspectives gets, get you to new and, and new and unique and novel ideas. And it's ultimately what we're after ideas, um, that create outcomes uh, that we're all sort of in service of. Absolutely. And the experience element too, I think that, you know, this whole little podcast thing was something that like I kind of in high school and things was always interested in, in journalism and interviewing and, and podcasting and things. But I, I kind of decided I didn't want to necessarily, necessarily go for a journalism or comms degree, but like still having a project, having an initiative, writing songs, doing things where like, even if as you're learning engineering, you're writing songs, you can still come out of college, maybe not with a degree in music or music theory, but with a catalog of songs that you've written that you can use and show and and show the growth and show the learning that you've had in that sense. That's right. I mean, I learned how to write songs by writing songs. I I learned, I learned how to, uh, how to do signal flow processing in a recording studio, thanks to, uh, the school of music, but also I spent a lot of hours doing it. I mean, imagine if you're doing that for something that you hated or something that you weren't excited about. I mean, it'd be really, really painful. And I think that learning should be, uh, especially at, at the the higher ed level, should be invigorating, right? And like the 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 higher I got into my education, like from master's degree, especially my doctoral program, I absolutely loved it because I was exploring things that excited me. Not because I wanted to do a thing. Fortunately, I was already doing it, but really because I was just, I was, I was so, I was so engulfed in the ideas that I, that my curiosity was insatiable. I think that when you get there, you're really operating in a really good place. You absolutely are. No, I, I love it when you can kind of see in higher ed and beyond that the love of learning come out of learning. And it's so wonderful to be in those spaces where people share those ideas. Totally. Yeah. Now I have a kind of question kind of being a Ross nerd, uh, being a BBA ambassador, I, I give the tours and I give the spiel of, of Ross and, and the story. And I know that the, the renovation started in 2004 and ended in 2009. And when I saw that you got your MBA in 2009, or yeah, I had a. I was curious about what was it like going through that transitional period in Ross. I think somebody asked a friend of mine, like, did you have class in the building? Were they just being constructed? What was that whole experience? And then even now going through that experience at Ross then and now being pretty far removed from that and seeing where it is today. Like, what are some of the contrasts that you've seen? And yeah, what was your experience going through Ross in that transitional time? Yeah, I'm an OG, man. I was, yeah. uh, and my, my, my classes I took in 2007, 2008 were all all in the old building, what was now um, the executive residence. That was where all the professors sat. So the hotel was professors' um, offices. And then we had classes in what is Kresge, or actually, no, what is Blau and Kresge. So our, our classes were there, um, and they were not as cool as they are right now. <laughs> and the construction was happening on, behind us. The demo had already been done. The construction was happening behind us. So my whole first year, we're in the old building, sort of watching the new building get built. And then uh, my winter term of my last year, we were here in in the Ross building. Okay. But the the old edifice was still there. That we were all in these new classes that that last. That yeah. Well, actually, no, no, actually, no. I'm I'm mistaken. That that was our entire last year. Our entire second year was in was in the new building. Sorry about that. Um, but to be here now and to see how the building has changed even more, it's fascinating. And it says a lot about um, about evolution, right? Like it's hard for me to remember 
those old days because these new things are just so familiar now. Absolutely. It is. I was Googling like within the last month, I think I was Googling. I was like, I don't know what the old Ross building looked like. And I was looking it up and I found the pictures of it. And I said, oh, wow. It was like, trash. It was trash in comparison. It really was like no shade to the Ross building, but wow. Um, it was trash, man. It was trash. Like I... It's so interesting, like, to think of the perceptions I have of Ross now and, and, like, the vivid memories of, like, walking into that building for the first time and seeing all the windows and being, like, fully engulfed in that. And then I'm like, that wouldn't have happened, I think, in the other one. Um, no, sir. No, sir. <laughs> no. It's just remarkable to see. Now you talk about evolution. It's wild to think of, like, I could not imagine an experience in that building, which is so fascinating. Now, I want to dive a little bit more into, you talked about Temple University. You talked about getting a doctorate, which is... Is relatively recently for you as well and i i'm just super curious like what was the process of, of getting a doctorate what would kind of led you to wanting to further know was probably that love of education but like really deciding that you wanted to do it and that the time was right for you to do it and then temple in particular what really draw you to that school so i was a terrible student in undergrad loved college did not like school for all the reasons that we just talked about mm -hmm. and when i came to the mba program i enjoyed it i really enjoyed it I wasn't a great student. I was like, I was average, which for Michigan is pretty good because everyone here uh, in Ross is pretty remarkable. So I, I found myself being sort of average and was like very happy with that, content with that. Um, and in my mind, I was like, I'm never going to school again. I'm done. Like I'm done, 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 done. I mean, the fact that I got a master's actually was like a big step forward in my mind, but yeah. getting anything beyond that, I'm, I'm finished. Um, and I was at Apple, worked Beyonce, went into the, the advertising industry. Um, and it was right around this time that I had uh, what I call my Jerry Maguire moment. If you know the reference, there's the movie with, with uh, Tom Cruise where he's a sports agent and he has this epiphany about the industry that he's in. And, and it changes everything, completely changes his, his personal life and his professional life. And that's how it was for me. Where I was at dinner with my my wife and her uh, her, her her friend post college, and she was there. And we, were, we were all having dinner, and her friend worked in social work, and I was running social social marketing at a, at an agency in New York called Translation. And over dinner, her friend Sarah, our friend Sarah, kept saying, "Well, in social we do this, and in social we do that." I kept thinking to myself, "Why does she keep saying that?" Because exactly what I say in television you do this, but in social you do that. In radio you do this, but in social you do that. That it dawned on me, oh, she keeps saying that because she means people of course marcus social is people and i realized in that moment i went from great euphoria that like i just like cracked the code as far as i was concerned and i realized i knew nothing about people i knew nothing about like why we do what they do i mean like i didn't i took one course one humanities course in undergrad which was a sociology course but otherwise i didn't take any human any uh social sciences at all so i didn't know anything i knew the word Freudian slip. That's about it. <laughs> so that moment, I felt like a fraud. I was like, oh, man, I'm going to get fired, dude. Like, if social is about people, I don't know anything about people. I don't know what I'm doing. My wife, in her wisdom, says, you should read about it. And I was the kind of guy who said, I don't read books. I read articles. Just stupid. Um, so she gave me Dan Ariely's book, Predictably Irrational. And it rang a bell that I couldn't unring. It literally changed my life because I saw the world through lenses that were completely foreign. And I realized that these lenses uh, not only affect how I see the world, but they also affect how I behave in the world. And each of us, we make meaning through these lenses that that we have that translate the world around us. Like, oh my goodness, 
this is what drives people. And I read the book. I went back and read it, read it again. And I highlighted the research that I thought was interesting. And then I went and read that research. And then that that research led me to George Lowenstein and, uh, and Daniel Kahneman and so on and so on and so on. And my reading, my curiosity became insatiable. I mean, I was so excited. I couldn't remember being this excited about learning uh, that since my, my, my days working in, in music or being a student uh, at the School of Music um, through my undergraduate years. So the most powerful thing that happened is that while I'm learning all these things, I start applying it to my work and the work gets infinitely better, like so much better because the world is so clear to me. And I said to myself, okay, like this academic thing, this like learning the theory thing, it makes my work better. And I felt like I wanted to share that outside of the offices that I was working in. I said, you know, maybe I should teach. So I started teaching and learning the things made my work better. And as I got better at my work, it helped me teach better. And this idea of having one foot in academia, one foot in practice became sort of like, uh, uh, like the perfect convergence for me. And I was teaching at NYU at the time while in advertising. We moved to Ann Arbor after we had our first daughter, Georgia. And I'm working in Detroit at an agency called, called Donor. It's like, man, it'd be awesome if I get a gig at Michigan teaching. And thankfully, prayerfully, uh, uh, my good friend, Professor John Branch, who was my professor uh, in the MBA program, he he and I were just really close friends. And he's like, I'll help you get in. And he helped me uh, start teaching here. And as I taught, the more I taught, the better the work became, the better the work became, the more curious I became. So the more I read and the more I read, the market. So this like cycle, this 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 the, the cyclic nature between these these different nodes uh, just continue to, to get better. And I thought to myself, if I'm going to do this, then I need to commit to it. So I need to go get a union card. So I figured I've been reading everybody's research and everybody's data. I need to go create my own research, have my own data to help shape uh, my own point of view uh, and then help people do what I did, right? Help people find the thing that they're most curious about and create the the means by which they can achieve that, to understand that, to make that as frictionless as possible. Wow, it's so cool to see that thread cut carry out. And I'm just gonna move right into the next question and kind of switch in the order here. I wanna draw that thread in the, in the for the culture because yeah. you have this book about people and about culture and it was kind of surprising to hear you say like, I know nothing about people or I knew nothing about people. And it's <laughs> so interesting and cool to see that now leading all the way into this book that is all about culture and people and how you started that it's all about, you know, for the markets, like for people. Yes. So when did you know that, how long had you, ever wanted to write a book you, again you were like you were an article guy so like had you ever had aspirations of writing a book and then when did you know that for the culture was going to be that book not really um i had danced with the idea flirted with the idea uh with one of my partners uh in advertising some years back but never thought i'd write one by myself and if i did it'd be like further down the career like way way down the career i, I didn't think i was licensed to really do one um, but then some things started to to manifest for me uh, just before before COVID. Um, I met a, a publisher or, or, or a literary agent who said, man, I think you got a book in you. He saw some of my talks before. I was like, I think you got a book in you. And I was like, oh, man, this guy's gassing me up. <laughs> uh, but because he believed in me, I believed in myself, which is powerful. Um, and then I started to think about if I were ever writing a book, what would I write about? Like, you know, you don't want to retread ground that's already been uh, excavated. And what would be something novel that I can bring to, to, to the table? And I thought about, well, I teach about culture and teach about networks. Like, I'd write that. That, that. that seems interesting, right? It seems easy enough. But even then, I didn't have a very clear point of view about culture that was my own. Like, I could 
regurgitate or or quote other people's takes, but I didn't have one that was all of my own. So of course, I found myself in a bit of a pickle. But I realized something during this introspection that my understanding of culture came once I started doing the research. But what would have happened if I understood culture earlier in my years? Right, like as a high school student coming from Detroit in the '90s, if you did well math and science, if you're a math and science whiz, you went into engineering, not because you loved it, but because that was expected of you. And I did well in math and science, so I studied engineering because those were the conventions that were expected of me. When I wanted to do something else, my parents go, what are you doing? No way this is going to happen. So what I do, I continued to be an engineer, studied engineering because that's what was expected of me. When I went into music, people were like, yo, what are you doing? You are crazy. But they always said, at least you have your backup plan, that safety net engineering, right? Because that's what's expected of me. And what I found is that the same things that drive uh, consumer behavior is what drives human behavior. Right? I made those early decisions in my career, not because it's what I wanted to do, but it's because what people like me were supposed to do. It's the same thing goes when we consume, what we buy, what we wear, what we drive, the devices we use, how we style our hair, where we go to school, if we go to school, who we marry, if we marry, where we vacation, what we eat, how we bury the dead. All these things are byproducts of our cultural subscription, the conventions and expectations of people like us. And we make those decisions hundreds, if not thousands of times a day, whether we are aware of them or not. And as this began to crystallize in my mind and go, oh man, this is a book you have to write. If not, if nothing else, from a practicing perspective, from a practical perspective, it's going to help marketers, practitioners, leaders, politicians, managers, activists. It's going to help people get people to move. And as a practitioner, as an academic in the world of of marketing and management, that's expected of me to acquire knowledge and disseminate it. But also from a personal level, that if we have a better understanding of culture and its influence on us, if we have a better Rosetta Stone to talk about it, then it will empower us with agency to do something about it. That I can say to my parents, I understand why you want me to do this because these are the expectations for me. But let me tell you why I'm not going to do this. And if I so choose, but instead I just said, I'm just feeling like I'm being pressured. I feel like I have to do this thing because of the pressure that's put on me. The better language we have, the more agency we have to actually do something about it. And that's why I wrote this book. I'm so excited for the culture releases May 2nd everywhere. It's available for pre-order now. Always have to slip that in and book conversations because I am so excited for this book and I love how it all ties together. I love how everything you've been talking about is kind of like this grand narrative of like talking to you about kind of your life and experience in college all feel like leads to for the culture. And it's cool to then take that book and then go all the way back and reflect and trace that through everything you've done so far. Thanks it's, a million. I, I, I fully agree. Yeah, it's so exciting. I cannot wait to read it. Again, I'm just staring at all the copies behind you and I'm like, I'm going to have that in my hands soon. Yes, Anyways, right. I, I want to, you have such a cool, cool history of working in, in marketing and you've been saying Apple and Beyonce and, and I really want to keep on that music train. Two questions, actually. I saw in a talk you mentioned you went to Bandcamp and I got asked what instrument you play. But second question is how did you kind of apply your early experience songwriting, writing love songs to when you were working with Beyonce and other things at Music World Entertainment. Yeah, so I, um, my first instrument was piano as a kid, but I was, that was, that was never my primary instrument. Um, I played clarinet first and then saxophone, but the thing that stuck for me was trumpet. So I played okay. jazz band, went to Blue Lake every summer, uh, playing playing uh, trumpet uh, in the jazz ensemble, which was which was really awesome. Thanks to uh, my, uh, my my old band teacher, uh, Mr. Jose Taylor, who was amazing. Um, and so for me, like the music part, work with 
Beyonce and, and Music World, like I didn't write anything. I, didn't, I wasn't making music at, at Music World, though I, I would love to have, to have done that. But that wasn't my gig. I was a marketer there. Um, so the the music part, much like the engineering part, just sort of helped me solve problems, right? Like as an engineer, I'm looking for patterns, I'm looking for the underlying physics of things. Because if we understand the underlying physics, how things move, then we can identify the mechanisms to do something uh, about them. And music works in a very similar way. We think about music as being so creative, and it totally is. But music is based on mathematics, like intervals. These are mathematic, numeric uh, uh, expressions of the distance between notes, right? We think about chord changes. These are, they are mathematic in nature. There's structure to them. And this idea that you can have creativity and structure at the same time, they're not antithetical, which is really powerful for me. So when I go to solve problems, I always kind of start with what do we know? Like what is foundational? What are the underlying physics of a thing? Why aren't people adopting the behavior we want them to adopt? Now, our job then is to remove those hurdles, remove those uh, uh, those pain points so that people are more inclined to, to consume, to move, to vote, to download, to watch, to subscribe. Uh, uh, to share it with, with, with folks. And so applying what I knew of music, that there is structure to the creativity, I really found my way as a strategist, finding those structures, right? And working with my creative partners who are copywriters and art directors to express that structure in ways that are novel, new, and interesting, which I think is kind of the role I play now as an advertiser or chief strategy officer um, in the in, uh, at Wyden Kennedy, New York. It's really about finding those structures, finding those uh, 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 the underlying physics of why things are the way they are so that we might be able to subvert them. Yeah, it's so cool. And I think it, you bring a great point of, of creativity and structure really intertwining well together. I think that sometimes there's that perception of like creativity is, is this beautiful, big old unstructured thing. But I feel like you need some level of structure and structure can breed creativity, constraint can breed creativity. These kind of right. antithetical ideas, as you say, really do converge really well together. And it's cool that, yeah, everything I feel like in your career and your life is kind of bounced like back and forth. I mean, you are a marketer and I feel like even marketing your own, like your experiences, everything ties so well together, mm -hmm. which is so cool. I mean, it's yeah. easy to look at things in the rear view mirror than it is looking forward. Yeah. But looking, but when I do that exercise, it becomes very, very clear, which is, you know, which is why we do research to understand why things happen the way they do so that you can be more intentional going forward. Absolutely. I mean, it's even funny, a, a semi-similar note in my life is that like I grew up and was born and raised in Northern Virginia until about eighth grade and my my dad was from Michigan I had some exposure he would you know root for Michigan hadn't gone to the school really didn't have anybody in the family who came to U of M but I did have a teacher in middle school who was from Ohio and was an OSU fan and so basically as a mischievous little middle schooler my main agenda was to get under his skin as much as humanly possible and that was by wearing as much Michigan merch as frequently as humanly possible um, that's amazing and so like literally never having thought about college like I didn't look back and make this connection until I like had got in and declared going to Michigan where I looked back and there's all these little pictures of Tiny Carter in so much U of M swag where like you know I had sunglasses I think I had Michigan Yahtzee like it was 
just as much gear as I could get my hands on. And it's so funny now to, as you say, yeah, look back and piece these things together and find the threads that I didn't even realize were there were being strong until until you see it all come together. I kind of love that. I love it. It was very fun. Now, I, I, this is just kind of a, my own curiosity as a marketer, as, as somebody like, what's your take on TikTok? Um, I, I saw, I found you had posted one video to TikTok, but as somebody, I, I saw your talk on like virality versus creating community and culture. And I guess I'm just curious on like, what are your thoughts on this platform? Because I feel like you see so many people saying so many things about it. Well, I think hip hop, I mean, hip hop, I think TikTok <laughs> is, is dope. Uh, particularly, it's a, it's an environment where people are negotiating, constructing cultural characteristics, right? They're, they're negotiating, constructing what is acceptable. And I like the way that TikTok doesn't define itself as a social platform. It's not a social networking platform. It's an entertainment platform. And creators, cultural creators go there to create. And, uh, and people go there to find the creations that are akin to how they see the world, or how they want to see the world. And there, the algorithm on TikTok is so unbelievably amazing that it's the places become so addictive because the content is so bespoke to what matters to you and what you actually really care about. Um, and as a result, you find the platform grow to this massive, massive uh, state. Again, it's not like I'm going to follow Carter on, on TikTok. It's that the news feed, it's feeding me as opposed to it's aggregating the stuff that I, I've asked, I raised my hand and asked for. Yeah, that's such an interesting take. I was just super curious of a, of a marketer's perspective on such an interesting and kind of new and big platform. Now, I, I have a lot of questions I love to ask everybody who comes on the show. And the first one is, what is one of the most impactful pieces of advice that somebody has ever given to you? Oh. Um, give it to me personally. I would say it comes from Steve Stout. Uh, and he said to me, if you have an idea and it makes sense, it's logical and no one else gets it, you're probably on to something. I love that. That's a really good piece of advice that I have not heard before, but I think that that's a great, very true statement. Mm. Further, you've given a lot of great pieces of advice for, for college students, but do you have an ultimate tip for somebody going into college? Oh, sure. It's a Steve Jobs quote. Uh, if you look around you, everything around you, practically everything around you that's man-made was made by someone no more talented, no more smarter than you. So what's keeping you from making a dent in the world? That's a really good one too. Wow, I love that. I need to listen to more of these Steve Jobs quotes. Um, <laughs> he's pretty good. He's, he's pretty good. He said some some good things. He does some cool stuff along the line. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And then another one, uh, do you have a dorm room essential item? Oh my goodness, a dorm room essential item. For me, it was my refrigerator. Like I needed that, needed that in my life, needed that in my life. Um, my roommate and I used to fight over it all the time, uh, but the refrigerator was was crucial for me because like for some reason like I, I like I had classes that kind of fell over over lunch so I didn't get lunch or I had to pay for it myself just having things that I can uh, uh, can, can stash away was was helpful yeah because you were on you said did you say you were on Markley as well when you Markley were there? that's right yes sir Markley. or okay. for Markley nice that is Markley the same as it was then I feel like uh, perceptions of dorms have shifted over time but like I feel like Markley is one of those kind of like they're kind of their own dorm I feel like from my perception of Markley is like they're kind of on the hill but even among the hill, like Markley is its own little place. Yeah, you know, I don't, I'm not sure what the, what the vibe is the, are these days. But when I was there, like Markley was jumping, like 
like yeah. it, it was the it was like it was the cooler place to be on the hill because all the cool kids were in Markley. <laughs> That's really cool. Now you have such a cool music history, so I can you can suggest as many songs as you want. But do you have a song basically that maybe got you through school? I'm building basically like a school survival playlist from everybody Ooh. that I talked to. So any recommendations for it? It got me through school. Man, I don't know if I have one particular song, but I tell you the song that I listen to the most. And I haven't listened to this song since 1989. Okay. It's probably I like. It's always at the top of my Spotify uh, uh, year in wrap up because it's just a perfect song and it's so intricate and complex that every time I hear it, I hear something new, even out of all these years. It's called Getaway Jordan by Take Six. It's an acapella song. And I'm not like a, I'm not like a college acapella guy, but I do like acapella music. But this song, this is one of the songs that if I were on an island, only could listen to one song for the rest of my life, it would be this song just because of how perfect it is, how intricate it is. And every time I hear it, man, like I, I literally hear a new thing. Oh man, I didn't recognize that part. So dope. That's really cool. I have got to listen to it then i yeah. love those pieces of music where yeah you can listen to it over and over and over and like pick up on different things and it's when it's just been built so deep and intricately it's so cool to that's right to unravel that now the final question i would love to ask is what would you tell your first year self in college and also your freshman self in high school i would say uh first year self in college um i would say it's going to be all right i i think i thought every decision I made were going to have these cataclysmic, massive, Herculean uh, effects on on my life. So I feel like I, I kind of held myself to like some really high standards, not like scholastically, not academically, but I just felt like every decision was, was make or break. And it's like, that's not the case. I mean, it's not the case. Um, you said my freshman year self in high school? Freshman in high school, yeah. Uh, freshman in high school. Um, I would probably say that you're better than you think. And I think that like there's, there came a time, I, 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 I always feel fairly self-confident, uh, but there are moments in time, like anyone going through through puberty, where you start to doubt yourself and go, man, I'm like, am I really that good? Or am I this? Am I smart enough? Am I am I attractive enough? Am I cool enough? Am I, am I enough? And I think the idea is that, man, like you, you're, you're more than enough. And I think that if I would have told myself then, I would have been able to come to that realization faster, um, as opposed to waiting to you know, much later in my in my life to to realize that. Yeah, that's always an important message I think to convey to anybody in any state of life. I think both of those are really important and yeah. just good things to hear and be reminded of. Now that brings us to the end of the interview. Thank you, thank you so much for coming on. It's been an absolute joy to talk to you, and I hope to see you around the halls of Ross here as well. Now, final final question um, for the culture again. I'll remind says comes out on May 2nd, available for pre-order now. Anything that you have to plug though, anything else you want to plug or share or promote? Uh, get the book, read the book, share the book, tell other people to buy the book. Yeah, absolutely. I, I second all of those things. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for listening. It has been a joy to have you on this episode of the Student Council. Uh, my name is Carter Dvorak. That has been Dr. Marcus Collins. Do you have any other final words before we head out of here? Just many, many thanks. I'm super grateful for you having me, truly. I am so grateful for you coming on the show truly if you want to find more things with the student council our instagram is at stucopod our email is stucopod at gmail.com wishing you the best of luck and the best of times in all of your educational endeavors the student council is adjourned